As far as podcasts go, I would say we've got to be at least in the top 20% when it comes to hand-eye coordination. Mm. Yeah. Um, I The doctor told my mom that I was um, a high, percent, high percentage in my age group for hand-eye coordination. Uh, which is, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm in like the top... Yeah, top 20% for that. Um, What a weird thing for a doctor to say. That's great. To a a great doctor. To a 32-year-old man. Yeah, I thought it was was weird, (laughs) too. Oh, this was recent. Oh, oh, yeah, this was the other day. I thought it was was a little strange to be talking about, like, he's still measuring my head size um, Uh and stuff, which is what they do to babies to see how they're growing. Um, Yeah, to see... (laughs) To see how racist you should be against them. Anger, sexual lust, the sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. Marx, Marx, Marx. Sexual lust. Marx. Wow. You know who else is a special little guy? All of you uh, QA workers who are working egregious hours at Bethesda mm, and getting paid guys. dog shit. Wow. Special little guys. Have some pizza. We're, <laughs> we're a family here at Bethesda. Mm. So it's okay if we pay you mostly in pizza. Yeah, if I know that uh, um, if there's anything that's worked on me in my many many jobs it's the uh the pizza party methodology um the oh, pizza yeah. party technique always works never backfires yeah. <laughs> i'm just a starving feral animal really you know you you put out a little treat for me i'll hang around you know you're listening to agab all gamers are bastards That's right. i am your host k i am joined as per usual, by Kyle. How's it going, Kyle? Well, um, I'm good. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not QA testing Call of Duty. Uh, so, <laughs> good, because apparently not great. Uh, not great as that gig, but we'll get into that. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, they're all under the Microsoft umbrella now. I wonder if the... Because the QA is all contractors. I wonder how much overlap there is. Um, yeah, so th- this is this is Todd's Inferno Part 2, where we're really going to dive into... A- as hard as we were on Fallout 3, way back when we did that, as hard as we were in the last episode in Part 1 uh, on Fallout 4, this, for me, is really the darkness. For, for Bethesda uh, attempting to make video games for human beings. Mm. Um, there's quite a lot in this article I want to talk about, so I'm just going to hop right into it, to be honest. Um, there is a Kotaku article that came out a little while ago entitled The Human Toll of Fallout 76 Disastrous Launch. Uh, Former ZeniMax developers claim that uh, Fallout 76 was severely mismanaged. Should not be a big shock to anyone to hear that. Um, There's a a number of things I really want to highlight from this article and talk about a bit. And the first one it mentions right at the top. Um, Kotaku spoke to 10 former employees of Bethesda and its parent company, Zenimax Media, who were familiar with Fallout 76's development, all of whom shared their accounts only under the condition of anonymity. Some sources said that they signed non-disparagement agreements upon leaving the company and feared that Zenimax's influence in the industry would prevent them from being hired elsewhere. So, that's pretty bad right out the gates. Um... In an industry that I think in recent years is coming to be defined by abusing employees in terms of crunch as well as, like, sexual abuse and then covering up that sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. Blizzard, Riot, Ubisoft, everyone else, um, understanding that there is this environment where people feel that their careers will be jeopardized if they even like talk about how something was mismanaged 
or or that could possibly be be seen uh, to negatively uh, portray a company. Um, that seems like a pretty big problem. Yeah, I I I think the at the center of the piece that we wanted to discuss today is this like my favorite quote from the piece is about it's really really long really really in-depth thing but about three quarters of the way through they have a quote from a former employee a former bethesda employee that says i don't know how bethesda made skyrim like it had to have it doesn't make (laughs) it doesn't make sense to me like it had to have been like monkeys with a typewriter creating shakespeare i don't know how things can be so chaotic and people are still able to do their jobs and that uh, what I love about that quote is that it cuts to the center of the uh, work, the conditions of the workplace, the culture mm-hmm. of the particular workplace, and then it talks, it, it demonstrates how the sort of and the piece goes on to I think very adeptly, uh, uh, briefly describe the sort of mythologizing. The, there's this very now I think heavily weakening, thankfully, uh, popular mythologizing around Bethesda as this you know sort of like Goldilocks studio. It's like mid, this mid big, mid-sized big studio that's able to pump out games like that sell millions and millions of copies with only, you know, you know, a certain, like with, you know, more relatively small crews working on them. And yeah, uh, yeah no, we know how, like a, a work, work, workplace abuse. That's how that, that's how that happens. When you abuse your, it, it's, it's simply, um, you're trying to extract as much value out of your workers as possible by pushing them to their absolute limits um, and then blaming them for your problems um, <laughs> when things don't exactly go your way, um, which is it's, what Todd Howard likes to do. It, it is. It's funny how Bethesda, to me, really mirrors, um, and anyone who's worked like in say hospitality for like a, a, a independently owned place like a non-chain mm-hmm. will really know what this is like like the uh the small business tyrant who yeah. can be sometimes worse than like the big corporate overlord yeah. just in their uh like committed micromanaging and fucking with you whereas you know if you work at mcdonald's or something you you're probably just dealing with a, a faceless hr monolith and you know they've got their pluses and minuses but one thing that the small business tyrant will do is really act like you're all, all a family, you know. At Bethesda, we're a family. It, it feels like kind of the attitude, like we're this scrappy little tight click of, of pardon me, uh, scrappy little tight click of, of underdog small developers. It's like, no, you're a big studio now and you're acting like one. Um, and in this article, they report working... Um, 10-hour days, six days a week. Uh, People talk about... People... uh, Right at the top, they just say that, like, people were dropping like flies from this project. People were... It was driving people to quit because it was such brutal fucking work, brutal hours. Uh, There's lots of accounts from people, like, who who left and describe, like, the immense feeling of of relief and peace... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not knowing that they have to, you know, go in tomorrow and face that. Um, and I've worked jobs like that felt like that before, but the difference is I, it, it was never going to hurt my uh, employability down the line if I complained about it. You know, it was never like, oh, if, if you're not seen to be a team player, Zenimax might have a word, right. you know? Um, and in creative industries where reputation is, is really important, um, it's incredible the power that employers can can wield over somebody. It's like if you get a little black spot on your record because you weren't a team player when crunch happened at ZeniMax, a lot of companies don't fucking want you because they know they're going to end up needing that from their uh, workers at some point. I think what's interesting about uh, the sort of workplace abuse in game studios is that it is always it always has by virtue of an in, of an element of the culture industry it always has to rely on its own myth making, like it has to be, like the like it's the mag- the magic of Hollywood principle, like it's a yeah. uniquely important thing that 
it, it's because it's culture and you know creativity and require it it asks of people's passions um and uh, creativity and attempts to industrialize it in a way or really like like monetize it i guess is the word that we could that would be most contemporary um so mm-hmm. you have you have to like it, there has to be there has to be there has to be mickey mouse right like you have to have the the like don't you, you love the mouse you love the mouse and all of his friends and the nice like <laughs> world that they make for you it allows you to experience both nostalgia as well as to build new memory new like new points new cultural repositories for all of your hopes and dreams and beliefs and your way of expressing yourself and your way of considering yourself a good and decent person uh, it's not just about having good taste it's about consuming the right way or whatever mm-hmm. and like this is all very very good and important it's not just that like there are people who have a certain skill who are trying to develop a product that you're trying to take the market you know it has to be so like it's good that you're it's good that i'm abusing you because you love this right isn't that what yeah. got you here in the first place you love this so this is good so shut up like like and that's the i mean that's the what you alluded to Kay, and the small business tyrant model which i have lots of experience organizing with um that's 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 it's it's an undergirding principle to those types of business relationships that like you you like like we have to it's the mandate and necessary it's the the necessary mandate to enjoyment and the affectation of that joy um you have to be happy express it as such otherwise you are socially ostracized yeah i feel like in that period it was a lot more of uh, about like the nation oh yeah it was very whereas patriotic. yeah whereas i think when we see these modern manifestations it's a lot more like the company as a tiny like you know island nation unto itself almost mm. um yeah. and not unlike a nation these companies they tell stories about themselves like you yeah. you mentioned earlier um uh, this article alludes to this kind of idea in bethesda that like hey we made skyrim you know like we can do it, um, which was yeah humorously referred to by that uh, the one worker who was like I don't know how the fuck they made Skyrim, um, and that really made me think of when Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven came out and was a disaster. Um, uh, CD Projekt Red, a lot of people were talking about what it was like to work there, and there was this strong idea that hey we made The Witcher three, you know. Like, we somehow pulled it off. And, you know, in defense of everyone involved, making a video game is fucking impossible. It's in- it's incredible that it ever happens at all. Um, and so they, they get this idea, like, we're these... I feel like CD Projekt Red's kind of similar. Like, we're this, like, scrappy underdog, more mid-sized company. Yeah. Um, you know, we somehow made it happen. And then that becomes used as a, a cudgel to to beat their workers into accepting things like crunch that they you know might not normally it's just like listen we're you know we're special we were able to make this incredible game in adverse conditions and you can be a part of that as well there's almost like a heroic framing to it i feel like a sacrifice on Um, behalf of the nation like it really is like you have to it's the sort of the value and work principle but like all Mm -hmm. it's 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 the it's the vampiric sort it's it's all sort of forms of human relationships inflicted with vampirism which is marxist like to be clear like the the metaphors of horror uh just listen listen to horror vanguard read monsters of the market read john's book that's going to come out next year (laughs) the 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 vampirism in particular as a metaphor for horror and extraction anyway whatever the fuck i was saying we should ha- we we should do a, a a cyberpunk 69 proper episode at some point uh, yeah um i'll have to play it i've been putting it off because like i'll be honest it, it, it is a it is a game i know i will get something out of probably um so i've wanted to wait for it to be 
I, I wanted to critique it as a text, not just as like a broken product, yeah. I guess, which is what it, I don't know if it still is like that, but it was for quite a long time. So I just left it because I think that critiquing it as a broken product has been done quite a lot. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, yeah it was, get it. Uh, you know. <laughs> it was bad when it came out. <laughs> it was bad when it came out and everyone whose, you know, job or hobby even it was to talk about video game stuff jumped on that. Understandably. I mean, it was a fucking disaster. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm I'm hoping to 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 tr- sort of get at it as a text. Uh, it's probably somewhat playable now. It's always on sale. I might grab it soon. Um, it is I'm sure on, it's in the summer sale right now. Is the summer sale happening right now? It is. Uh, um, oh yeah. shit! Yeah, it is. Gamers fucking rise up. Yeah, it starts today. That's the here's the fun. This is a fun game. I go to wish list and I sort by holy shit. I sort by sale. And it's like a lot of games. There's some things that Who's Your Dad oh Who's Your Daddy, which is a game I've never played. That's the game you have to play where you have to one person plays a a baby that's trying to kill itself and you have to like Oh, I've it. played that. That's yeah, really it'll, funny. It always looks really funny. I wanna I've been into games like that recently. Um I have so much shit on my wish list. A lot it's of it ridiculous. is games that are not out yet. Um Oh, like fucking everything's on sale. I need to I need to pull the trigger on some of these. Maybe not uh, right now in the middle of recording a podcast. <laughs> have a look at that later. <laughs> the, the viewers love uh, listening to us look at our Steam wish list. Uh, <laughs> um, no. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So we'll probably do that in the future. Um, I am going entirely by secondhand things I've heard about it, which you know I, I don't. I try not to form a strong opinion on that, but it, mm. it certainly sounds as if it suffers from a lot of things that fallout does of it trying to be a big broad product while dealing with something so inherently political that mm-hmm. you start to get a bit uncomfortable about what they aren't trying to talk about but uh, i'm interested to see how that feels um i just want to touch on a, a few other things in this article real quick one was the aforementioned bribing them with pizza which yeah you never like to see that um but some, there's, there's one um, statement in this that I thought was really interesting because I think it indicates the sort of environment that is being created in a company like this. And I have worked in offices with similar environments and it sucks ass. Um, where is it? There it is. Uh, the testers also coped with the pressures of being surveilled. A couple of sources yeah. told Kotaku that QA workers would have their breaks timed or sometimes even be followed into the restrooms by non-management employees described by one source as chronic snitches. <laughs> According to them, these otherwise normal testers designated as coordinators did not have a real title or pay bump, but felt that micromanaging their peers would help their career standing at Zenimax. I would expect to see that as like an evolving tactic, um, considering that a lot of places are trying to, like on their union contract, like a Starbucks, for example, they were pushing to, I believe I believe this is correct, that the that, uh, Workers United was pushing to make sure that shift managers could be incorporated into uh, uh, their votes, the votes that they've been having, um, which is a really good thing because so a, sh- a shift... For a lot of people who have worked service, mm-hmm. you know that like a shift manager doesn't ha- actually have hiring and firing power. For a restaurant, for example, they, they they in a restaurant they would like like have keys to the register, and they would maybe work in if you worked in a restaurant the consolidation position, which is like the basically the last person who hands food to a server or hands food to a customer to make sure everything's on the plate, looks presentable, and that sort of a thing. These are jobs that have a constant interaction with the rest of the workforce, more than managers do, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. And so they can they can be a very useful and important part of an organizing campaign. Um, but if you create a tiny little army of fucking snitches going around and saying like hey if you do this for me i'm not actually going to do anything for you but i might be nice to you the next time i need to hire if you work on like you're working on a project on contract basis or on a project by project basis and you don't know where your next paycheck is going to come from after this particular project is over it's really really useful i think to uh yeah Mm -hmm. make all these like 
tiny little demons <laughs> to follow people into the bathroom and tattle on them for you know shitting for too long or whatever like that's it's a great strategy yeah it's disgusting yeah these people are fucking worms too but like i i've got experience with with these sorts of people i used to work in an office and um i was i was like a uh team leader which is like you're not really management you get paid a little bit more and you have to like do reports for management basically (laughs) and and if people call in sick or whatever they call you then you pass it on you're a go-between it it was a pretty good yeah it's a pretty good gig yeah i'm I'm a i'm a go-between i don't really do much extra work i get a little extra money um happy pride month to all go-betweens by the way yeah Um, I did that for like a, a year or two, um, and I yeah I was I was leader of this little sales team, and uh, we shared the floor with the customer service uh, like call center people of the same company, mm. and their team leader would always keep an eye on me because I don't know she just decided that that would I, I think she wanted our manager's job. So mm-hmm. she would do things like if I would like take a shit, you know, if I would be in the bathroom for, you know, a few minutes more than she decided is is okay. She would she would like send an email to our manager, like the the manager of the whole like thing. And at least a couple times I'd get a call from him and I would tell him like, "Yeah, I was taking a shit. What do you want? I'm allowed to do that." And, you know, he would drop it. He'd be like, "Oh, okay." You know, whatever. I was just I got a complaint, so I'm following up on it. Um, and, and she would keep track of my breaks one time, uh, like me, it was a small team. There was like just a few of us, you know, mm. um, we all went and we got lunch somewhere and we came back like two minutes after lunch should have <sighs> ended. And she reported that yeah. and shit like any tiny thing. Like she policed us hard, even though she technically had the same, like, you know, position as me. It's not like she yeah. was my boss, but she acted like she was in hopes that she could like get there yeah um and holy i can only imagine it was 10 times worse if you were on her fucking team like directly under her supervision my god uh and i've worked in customer service call centers before that's how their managers are it was fucking (laughs) he's a demon but i I, it always i don't know it always got me not not just because she was being a dick but just that like a person you know what the the perceived things you have to do to advance in a company do to a person like how much of her day is she spending worrying about who on that whole floor is taking a dump or you know their cigarette break has gone a minute over and shit like that like that it just doesn't it's not her fucking problem but she has been made into someone who that is what occupies her mind and again much like these people, she's not getting any more like money or anything for doing all of this. She's taking on this work and making life harder for everyone else because she thinks that that will help her to advance. And uh, I don't know specifically the bathroom thing in this article really stuck uh, struck out to me because I feel like that is such a. I've had a lot of jobs where there was a lot of policing of bathroom breaks. Um, mm-hmm. It's every office job I've had has been like that. Uh, never the other ones, but always the office ones. Like yeah. Or if you just piss too often, it's like, well, I'm staying hydrated. It's hot in here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, well, how could this possibly be an issue that concerns you or anyone? Um, and it's, for me, I'm really interested in those little ways that workplaces are made, like, hostile and you aren't allowed to function in a human capacity and do the things you need to do, you know, where even going and taking a piss is like, it's as if you're robbing <sighs> the company you know of your like one minute to go do that yeah the surveillance is like it reminds me of there was an expose in the i think it was in the new york times about uh white collar amazon workers um i think this is what i can't remember which came came first uh was the reports on the intense productivity standards for their warehouse workers or the, the this the, some of the if you like this this stuff it's real psycho shit but like the it, it's both it's all very unique in its particular kind of like maniacal awfulness 
there's an uh there's a company that we were organizing with the IWW called Captel. Shout out to Milwaukee and Central Florida Captel workers. Uh that they provide captioning services for the elderly and the hard of hearing. Basically, they caption phone calls for people, um, which is a very sort of like, it's a very labor-intensive desk job is the way that I would put it. It's not like, like they have very strict productivity uh, uh, standards. They monitor the times that they spend away from their desk. They have like the same thing that it's what may think of white-collar Amazon workers at first is because they use the technology and the computer to make sure that you're sitting in front of your desk. Um, and mm -hmm. then they have a uh, sort of like a, like an intermediary between the big bosses, the hiring and firing bosses and the caption, caption techs, captionists. I can't remember what the, uh, how they describe their, their work, but uh, mm -hmm. um, who have to essentially act as, snitches and just as we've been talking about that it goes either one of two ways they because they were they started out as captioners and because they know everyone in the workplace they have a very good working relationship with everyone on the floor and thus mm -hmm. they would in a, if they were bargaining and negotiating a contract they would probably be on that contract in opposition to the hiring and firing power of management or they're yeah. tiny little demons who tattle and who like, <laughs> like they're just like you become a tiny little monster when you're forced to like like this is this that that's the system working is like yeah the the create an existing necessary tension that comes in and is intervened by like workplace management and their allies um to spread like a lack of unity and to continue to isolate and individualize like uh, the work day and the working process in an evolution of our post-industrial age, they can use our environment to place distance between us. But I think what we've seen from not just like people who, not just service workers doing workplace organizing, uh, using the particular struggles and their conditions like Amazon workers and Starbucks workers, but even uh, what we could quote unquote white collar union organizing for like, I know a lot of newsrooms that have organized recently because they said, like, don't come back into the office and they sent everyone home mm. or <laughs> even conversely, because they said, now you have to come back into the office and people have coworkers who have are like, so like this work from home thing was always a good idea that you just didn't do because it wasn't advantageous yeah. or good for you. And now I've been working for two years and also spending some more time with my kids and I still like connect with all my coworkers. I have I made that choice. I would work from home. You know, sometimes kind of drives me a little crazy. For a lot of other people, it works mm -hmm. really, really well. And so, oh yeah, fuck. If I had kids, work from home would be a godsend. Exactly. Like, oh my god, you can save you know? tens of thousands of dollars on childcare costs, like by limiting the amount of childcare that you need. Um, and so, like, like it's a it's a big deal for people. Yeah. Um, but that's what's so I think important about taking the time to look at the fallout 76 story and what's happening with bethesda um not just because cwa is doing a lot of and not just not cwa workers who are unionizing with cwa um are doing a lot of great work in the games industry um right now um uh but um also because it it, it, it speaks to the very unique conditions that we live in from the surveillance stuff, which again is maps on to the experience of warehouse workers in Amazon, as well as on to what is like what is not white collar work. It's just computer based work. These are cap caption technicians. You can you need a high school education and a lot of them don't get paid very well at all, which is part of the problem. Yeah. They also, funny enough, get a lot of fucking pizza parties. I worked I worked in one of the worst jobs I've ever had was doing something called porting, which is when you sit in a cubicle and you have lawyers yell at you until you can transfer. They're trying to install new phone systems but or they're trying to change phone systems, but they want to keep their phone number. That's this big, long, complicated thing, apparently, if you're working with landlines and stuff. And so you have to – there was a whole department that was shepherding phone numbers through, like, like through people's transitions between carriers and that was like my job for a while and if you want to know 
the little like management tattletale demons that work in environments like that while you have to all of the stuff that's normally associated with like the like more blue collar work that i've done like delivery or whatever which is overtime and excessive hours and excessive surveillance and like strict like more strict hierarchies or whatever like at least at ups like i know who I, I know who's on the contract i know who i work for i know when i have to invoke my rights in the workplace in places mm-hmm. like this that are largely ununionized you have everyone and you have to you have to affect joy and pretend that everyone's your buddy that was the experiences that i always had is that i wasn't i wasn't pretending to be fucking happy enough for some people and they're like "Mm, we like to like the customers can really like you know feel when you're not like and it's like man i work i work at this panera bread company for seven dollars and 25 cents an hour and like I have to yeah. eat, I have to eat ramen noodles four days a week. Like, what the fuck do you want? What do you want from me? And so you have to, yeah. you know, emotional labor is the everyone should read that book. Um, but like, yeah, I, I like the set the set the Fallout seventy six development crunch story is really illustrative, useful for understanding how workplaces work and how places like QA how QA testers at like Raven software for example have managed to actually unionize despite these very isolating conditions and very poor conditions and high turnover and incredibly low union density in new emerging industries that don't have like that 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 like the teamsters for example that don't have the legacy of like the historic union power as weak as it is in the united states there's still we do have mm-hmm. some legacy of like worker power in the u.s and the ups contract is one of is one of those legacies um that'll be up next year by the way so that's gonna be very that's gonna be really fun um oh yeah but yeah this is a the the fallout 76 development crunch story is bigger than the one studio um it's telling us oh, what's yeah. going on right now in work totally and I I have a feeling it's not in any way unique to Bethesda that they seem to be cultivating the like you were saying these little fucking demon snitches <laughs> at a time when this industry is starting to have this this push for unionization like Bethesda's already you know they they, bef- they this game was in production it came out in 2018 four fucking years ago and it obviously was in production for you know years before that long before I think this current really notable surge in, in labor activity in that way, uh, they were already making sure, you know, they were already laying that groundwork. Right. Um, and I think that any unionization efforts uh, on that end are going to have to now deal with that. And that's probably the case in a lot of companies. Um, I, I, I don't know. To me, it, it's just a reminder that, you know, one class is always thinking about the class war. Mm-hmm. We should be too. You know what I mean? Yeah, like um, there's pa- there's power in that that will be wrought out of the particular conditions that you're in now, and so mm-hmm. it is a it is a precondition of your ability to make change in your workplace, like like you you the fact that you're the one who can do that is by virtue of your unique experiences that yes cut across that not only cut across industry but that also have taken on a particular character that only you and your coworkers can speak to so it's this combination of learned knowledge education in law and honestly labor law as well as techniques mm-hmm. in the organizing your coworkers as well as you you are at the center of all of it and so there's yeah. nothing more important than like you're the like you're the one who makes change in your workplace. That's why organizing at work is so powerful and may and is so inspiring and has sort of changed the trajectory of people's politics or you know give them new ways of engaging in politics or whatever is because you do have actually have the power to make change at work. And when you see it happen, yeah. it's I don't know, it's addictive. Well, yeah, I mean, I think th- that also, uh, and the reason we've been seeing so much of it lately, I think there's a, throughout history you can see this, I think people are a lot, they're a lot better at defending gains than fighting for 
things they haven't seen yet a lot of the time. Um, so like people having experience working from home, for example. Um, now suddenly there's a much stronger push for that than there was when no one had done it. Because um, I think once you actually do something, it becomes real to you. It's no longer like an aspiration, a thing that you're saying you could do. It's, no, I've done this. I know this is better. And so I think we're, we, we get a, a bit more adamant about defending gains. Um, and I think you can see that a lot in, in the way that like um, uh, revolutions uh, have often come. They're not always just from like, you know, things being so awful that everyone rises up. Often it's, it's from people coming to understand a certain standard and then the realization that that will not be the norm anymore. Oh, you should, you, who, anyone who's listening and who just vibed with what Queso very perfectly said should go straight to zero books because by now an episode of uh, my show with the Lit Crick Eye on revolutions will be up and that's exactly what we're talking about. L- listen, you can you can plug whatever you want but if it's better than our video game podcast, then shut up. Um, that, that, n- never mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm nothing, joking. Uh, no, I'm joking. Nothing's better than our. Nothing's better than our, <laughs> better than our video game podcast. Of course not. We talk about Boss Baby on here. Everyone um, loves. The, I got. I gotta say, people have been. Very, wonder if they're fucking sick of it. Yet. People love. No, people. People. Oh god. People. People like this show. I thank you all for listening to this show. Um, you're correct to like it. And also, um, while we're plugging, for those of you who are left, um, uh, go rate it on Spotify. We have a 4.5 right now, which can't be, that has to be a mistake. Um, It should be a 5 out of 5. Yeah, it should obviously be a 5. I'm sure some of you just misclicked, so Mm -hmm. uh, we'll take this opportunity for you to go correct that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Listening to this podcast is actually doing politics. Mm -hmm. I'll have you know. Yeah, (laughs) you have great politics for listening. In the very, we said (laughs) in the very first episode of this show that when we talk about organizing um, for power uh, on behalf of working people, what we actually mean is playing is gaming and listening to this show. That's right. Speaking of, we should get into seventy six. I want to transition us into it just with one. Last quote from the article. Right. These testers shared stories with Kotaku about Zenimax management and how it would habitually require overtime from QA, even when that overtime wouldn't contribute to fixing a bug. A former tester who worked on the game's DLC recalled being coerced into coming into crunch on the weekend because the latest version of the game needed a fix. The individual tester would later discover that the development team had not implemented the fix and that any work they did on the unfixed build would be for nothing. And to me, that is emblematic of Bethesda as a company. They will make you crunch, and then it turns out you were working on the wrong build. So it didn't fucking matter. Nothing got done that day. You lost a day of your life. It's never coming back. And they do not care. And that's how you get a game like Fallout 76. That is how you immiserate your workers to put out fucking Fallout 76. Which is easily the worst Fallout game I've ever played. Oh, yeah. Easily. Holy fuck. I... When this game was announced, I was kind of excited for it because I imagined it was going to be Rust basically mm-hmm. but fallout yeah and i thought I, I thought it was either gonna be that or it was just gonna be like fallout 4 but co-op and i could like play with some friends and i was like you know what both of those games i'm down for that yeah. both of those sound like a fun time it's not gonna be i know it's not gonna be new vegas i know bethesda doesn't write like that but sounds goofy fun. like let's do it yeah yeah uh what we got was crazy <laughs> because um they mention in the article actually that uh, a lot of changes were very very last minute and that kind of feeds into a theory i have that they weren't a hundred percent sure how the game was going to work until pretty close to release um todd said some things at e3 when he announced it that weren't quite in line with what we got i have a feeling it was going to be a bit more a bit more like rust a bit more of like a hardcore pvp element um that they they quickly and clumsily scaled back because people who were fans of the single player RPG 
didn't like the idea of some rando, you know, blowing them up and ruining their fun. Um, so they tried to make this, they, they tried to kind of appeal to everyone. And so they appealed to no one, which is often the case. Yeah. Um, so I played this a lot with my partner when it came out because we like Fallout. We like games like Rust. And we thought if it's going to be anywhere in this neighborhood, we'll enjoy this. Um, and we quickly realized that the PvP was non-existent. It was, you could just opt out basically defeating the whole purpose. There's no like danger or, or mystery when you meet another person. Like, oh, what are they going to do? You know, um, which is what's great in games like Rust and a lot of like emergent, sort of gameplay comes out of that. Um, instead, it was just like, I'm playing a really bad Fallout game, and sometimes it's next to a stranger who can't even talk. Um, it's, it's everything that we talked about in the last episode about how there's this... It has no idea what it wants to do because it doesn't... It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It, it has no core values that it's trying... It has no core central goals besides to move units. It doesn't like it can't be rust because it could never specialize itself and have like it could never become like a weird smash hit because it's this like again kind of like goofy but fun unpredictable I think that's a big part of it sort of yeah survival multiplayer PvP game uh, mm-hmm. like it, it it was never going to be just that because it couldn't like it it had to try and be everything for everybody. And well, like as someone who's a fan of the single player side um, of things, uh, there's nothing. There's no the story is like it. it they, they, I I love how they tried to like retroactively. I think it was good old Todd. I think I read a quote from him or a, par- a paraphrase of a quote that was talking about how like yeah you know like since we were bringing in the PvP elements, we have to kind of like strip back the story a little bit, and it's like. We get to t- tell it more through subtlety, like it's fucking Dark Souls or something. And it's like, dude, you're, yeah, you're lying. I know that this. It's just like you didn't, you didn't have an idea, you didn't have an idea for it. So you had to like, essentially start throwing spaghetti, because you realized halfway through, making this thing that a whole bunch of people who normally play your video games aren't gonna like this one, and aren't gonna play it, just as you said. Yeah. And the single player aspect is totally gutted. Um, there, are, at launch, there were no NPCs whatsoever. There was no one you could interact with. My understanding is they added them in like a later expansion. Um, this game is four years old. I'm I'm going to talk about like what it was in like the year it came out. Mm. I'm not going back to it to play whatever shit. Um, everything I've heard about the NPCs and quests is that it's like it's still like worse than Fallout Four, which is not good (laughs) um the when before it came out todd was talking about how the single player stuff was going to be pulled back and that the players would organically you know your your player interactions would create the tension in the gameplay like in rust which is what made me think it would be like that because that's how rust works um but because they ended up making it extremely like hands-off and casual and you can't really interact with other people there's just nothing there's just really like minimal quests. There's just go here and kill these guys, and that's all you get. There's no real interaction. It is not an RPG. There is no RPG. I mean, you have stats, but there's no. You don't have a character who makes decisions, really. Um, and on top of all of that, when it came out, it was maybe the most broken game I've ever played. And, you know, Bethesda has a reputation, but this was fucking insane. Like. We stopped playing because it was just, it was, you know, we were starting to get bored with it after we played it for not very long because there wasn't really much to do. And it was constantly crashing. It had a a big hacking problem because, of course, it did. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as we realized that there just wasn't a PvP aspect and and that there wasn't ever going to be an interesting storyline, really, we just fell off with it because... There's no game. It's a fucking sandbox that they hoped they could monetize later. There's no stakes. There's no purpose. There's no greater goal. There's no interesting commentary in there's no like everything that it does to try and clean up 
parts of PvP that can be frustrating just ruin the actual gameplay. Everything that it tries to add in terms of like written narrative, everything it Ooh. does to try and build. Is it like, you know, it's the most insulting. So I'm, my family comes from the eastern part of Kentucky. Uh, western part of West Virginia and the southern part of Ohio and this very neat kind of like circle that my family on both sides my my dad's side of the family lives in that part of the country for you know they they, they moved there in the middle parts of the 19th century my mother's family had been there since they were settlers um frontier Kentucky frontier hillbilly people like you know wow kyle i can't believe you're a settler uh, <laughs> yeah cancel <laughs> cancel 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 the shit out of me frontier yeah i come from frontier hicks and uh that's a it's a part of the it's i know i have a complete bias but like it's a part of the country that has for it's for the fact that it's like a lot of it's like a lot of woods and about mountains like even it's even as a fraction of Appalachia, like Appalachia goes all the way north. The Appalachian Mountains go all the way north up to New York. Like it's just a, it, it's a it's also the part of the it's where Matewan is. It's the part where all the mines were in the 20th century, where you know the mm. some of the some of the most like vibrant and rich parts of American labor history all come from this part of the country, um, and uh, this game. Uh, shits on that legacy by not 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 just like not by not like trying to create something interesting and not doing a good job not by like you know trying to incorporate sort of folkloric elements of Appalachian history and or folk history in general and doing a poor job not even Mm -hmm. trying there's by create by calling calling nothing Appalachia like by creating a world in which Appalachia is doesn't like has no discerning real texture and quality nothing of its real actual charm and value you have yeah you have destroyed it and go fuck yourself in particular because it's a place it's 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 a place that's gotten that's 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 been through it enough and it just happened to be this like it's a it's a skin on which like this stu- the studio can just kind of like like it's a it's a it's a place with no pl- it's a setting with no place i guess is what i'm trying to say um yeah and it- do i take it personally uh yes of course cuz it's video- <laughs> it's video games and everything is about me that's right in in fallout 4 i talk about how i can like endlessly kind of be frustrated with it because i can see the potential that they've just squander again and again and in this game i feel like i feel that but it's almost entirely for the setting when i heard where it was going to be set i was i you know my head was racing with all the things that they could do and simultaneously with the knowledge that bethesda will not do them justice but the potential, you know, I'm always thinking about the potential when I hear an idea like that, because I'm an artist too, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not uh, an experienced game developer, um, but, you know, I think like that, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm writing shit in my head all of a sudden, it's like, oh my god, the the all the ideas that, like, are at the core of Fallout in this setting, you could do so much, and, and to see them do just nothing, just, like you say, just absolutely nothing with it is... I don't know. I, I sometimes I imagine that I'm one of the people who worked on it. Imagine, imagine you fucking you come in ten hours a day, six days a fucking week, and and all all that blood, sweat, and tears, and it's that. Yeah. You know, I've I've been overworked before, but it's, there there is, and I don't necessarily encourage this mentality in people, but there there can be a a bit of satisfaction, you know, at at a job well done uh afterwards um yeah we've and I don't we've know. shared some grind set tendencies yeah and it must be devastating uh to like like i i don't know if i if i was crunching and then like elden ring was the result or something or like you know a, a really good game i i still wouldn't be happy about my work conditions but i'd be like well fuck at least i'm you know 
I I can say that I made something really fantastic, at the very fucking least. Uh, so for it to be seventy six after all that, Jesus Christ, well, man, ha- it's just dark. This is why when you have no say, when you're the person producing the product, but you have no say in the mode and mean of production of that product, then yeah. not only is the final product not what you want it to be, this is a studio, yeah. like because it's a product that's been cut up and divided between like the company's growth has been determined by its revenue rather than by its capacity for production and the sort of like the the you know times by x factor if you will of like what are the workers saying about like what what are the artists saying about the development of this product and like and how yeah. how how are the sort of like you know there's because there's a lot of different cooks in this kitchen you have to it's a really weird thing making a video game is weird it's crazy like it's yeah. crazy it's a crazy thing that no people have not done it's not relatable to other like you can relate it to other types of production but it's so just it's just the unique thing that's very new and like but like they're absolutely i have complete faith and i i think we've seen demonstrated in different studios with different working conditions who make great games or individual mm-hmm. producers or whatever that that there is at the very least there there the the say in the process of production that comes from the people who create the thing itself has an immensely positive correlation to the creation the final product even so much of what happens like we just know that the inter the interventions from people who are disconnected from the actual production of the thing are absolutely inhibiting that at that product itself so oh yeah like it's just like it's like yes pay people but also put them in charge of what they're doing because it will change the fun like the positive functions of the- it makes me think of organizing a restaurant and they are bad at when you organize in a restaurant and you're bad at scheduling oftentimes it's because you're disconnected from the sort of day the day-to-day operations of the workplace so you say change a menu item when the person who does all of your prep work has their day off and so all of a sudden you don't have a prep person that prep person had covered themselves because they need to take days off and so they prep double the day before or someone sort of like minors in prep, like they do prep on a couple of days or a manager comes in and does prep when the prep assigned prep person has days off or whatever. But that all of a sudden gets disrupted because you're not familiar with the production process and decided to say introduce a new menu item that week. And now all of a sudden you've got to call your prep person. You're just like, hey, why aren't you here? I need you, I need you here because people can't do this thing. And it's like. Mm. If you had in any way, shape, or form consulted me on this, this is adapted from a real life story that I'm familiar with. If you had absolutely consulted me, consulted me on on menu item or any of us, the people who are making the fucking food, you know that first of all, we don't think people are going to eat this. But second of all, you could have <laughs> given us a little bit of like heads up, right? And we could have actually yeah. had it rolled out in the way. But now they were like posting on your your posting on instagram that you have a new menu item and so customers are going to come in and start asking for it why the fuck are you posting that on instagram without consulting me yeah and it just it shows that in the sort of like the 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 central functions of our workplaces this is something that is really useful in agitizing agitating and union organizing is because we all know innately it's just like no i could do this better like the people who understand shift like I could, when I worked at Starbucks, for example, I could always tell when the uh, assistant SM, the your assistant store manager, or a shift manager were producing schedules versus when the general manager was, because the general manager didn't know how to fucking schedule, and so it would, shit would be. <laughs> I would get scheduled yeah. during my classes and stuff like that, and you have to go, and like they would change it because like. I said when I started working there, I can't work on Monday, Wednesday, Friday from these days because I'm in college. Like, I have to go to class. Yeah. That's the point of – that's the only fucking reason why I'm working here still is because I'm still in college and I'm 27 or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it, like, there's – the story of Fallout 76 is a story of, like, 
like <laughs> like organizing the games industry like it's like there a lot of progress has been made but there's still like big big problems huge problems gaping like like clear problems that need to be dealt with and that are only going to be dealt with if people who work in these studios can agitate among their co-workers and organize into some kind of either to perform direct action in the workplace, march on the boss whenever demands need to be made, and, you know, take the risk of going out on, you know, strike without, you know, authorization of a union and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Using the, the law to protect yourself in your workplace and to bargain collectively, um, basically using the National Labor Relations Act just as the form, because you're, you're, you're a union when you say you're a union, if you have several people in your workplace and you bargain collectively, you're a union and you get certain protections. Like there's no, like you don't do anything until you talk to someone who is more familiar. You familiarize yourself with this before you do anything. You organize and agitate among your coworkers. And then you don't just advocate for changes in your compensation or improvements in your working conditions, but for a say in your working conditions because mm. you know better. You really do. And it's worth yeah. it. Like it's always going to be worth it to advocate on those issues because well at the very least you can start to, you know, learn what it means to build power at work. Because there's always gonna be a place to do it, you know. I love that so much of this episode, um, we've been discussing labor <laughs> politics instead of the game. There's and not I think much that's to discuss. Really, like, well, well, yeah, I think that's, I think, no, I'm not being sarcastic. I think no, that's I know. really appropriate. Yeah, I agree. Because it's barely a fucking game. It's exactly. a product. And I mean that in the most derogatory way. I know all games are products, but this one is a capital P product. Yeah. Um, and I think that became obvious really shortly after its release because they were putting in like little cosmetics you could spend real money on despite it being a full price game and mm -hmm. shit like that and um todd howard is a bit notorious for lying uh about <laughs> their products mm -hmm. and to be honest um especially after reading this article but I, I kind of already thought this i don't think that he's knowingly lying i think that he's sort of out of touch with a lot of the production team mm -hmm. and that he may be decides some, that they're going to do something and then they eventually end up telling him that's fucking impossible. Right, yeah. um, like he famously said Fallout 3 would have like 20 endings or something like that. Um, no, <laughs> it has one. <laughs> um, in a DLC, they added a second one. Um, it In uh, bef before Fallout 76 came out, he specifically said and um i'll find the clip so that we can like put it in here he specifically said they would not do like a um a premium subscription account Oof. uh anyway they did Oof. that was a lie it's called fallout first um and they put that in uh i should have double checked this but it was, it was maybe a year or two after the game came out and they just weren't making the money they thought they would it didn't sell very well because it was shitty um people weren't buying their cosmetics because it was shitty <laughs> so they said okay we're just we're gonna monetize the fuck out of the small player base we do have so we're gonna put in the subscription just to try to make this the financial game that we had hoped it would be you know we've already taken the reputation hit we need to at least make the money for it right um and that's all this game ever was it was uh them attempting to get like a live service fucking product going and that pretty much never fucking works. They keep trying it, but, like, people don't like this shit. It's not rewarding. It's not fun. MMOs already exist if you're into that kind of gameplay loop. I extremely am not. Um, yeah, I don't like playing with other people on video games. Uh, I love to play a good game co-op. Yeah. Like I, I'm, that's, um, that's become more... I'm I'm warming up to all of that. I had to... I, I got married and I'm like, okay, I want to play video games with somebody. And we've, <laughs> yeah, that's another, yeah, I play another loads of bless, games with my partner. Blessing, it's great. Blessing from my spouse. That's like, no, you can do stuff with other people here. Yeah. Now you're spending time with somebody you like and you're playing a fucking video game. It's great. Everybody wins. Yeah. Um, like I love playing like from soft games cooperatively. Um, I really enjoy, playing like um 
like uh, grand strategy games and shit with people yeah. like uh, where you can just like sit down if you've got like a whole day just sit down get high and play a stupid fucking map game and just be like I'm gonna be the fucking uh, Holy Roman Empire <laughs> or yeah. whatever shit um, it's fun uh, and uh, again like I did get suckered into 76 because I was like oh like you know just romping around in Fallout with some buddies that sounds great and the reason I allowed myself to get kind of hyped is because <laughs> I think it was such a low bar. My expectations were so low. They did not have to do anything special to meet them. But even that that was like, I still thought they would make a video game. Yeah. No. (laughs) Instead, we have this, um, which isn't great. And which I have recently reinstalled briefly just to kind of poke around since we said we were going to talk about it. Reinstalled it, poked around in it a little bit. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's it's not any better. I'm sure it. Did you meet, it did you meet any NPCs? Uh, no, I didn't meet any NPCs in the like mm. hour and a half. I think I decided to dedicate to it, but I did see other players, and we would do that classic, exciting Fallout seventy six thing to where you see them and you look at them, and then you turn around and just keep walking and doing whatever it is that you were doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I was saying before, that's where the big failure is. Um, because I think that they were scared of making it more like a, a hardcore experience like Rust, so they didn't want a lot of people don't like multiplayer games because they don't like getting their asses kicked. And that happens. And yeah. that I mean for me that's part of the fun. I love the unpredictability. I've played games like Rust or like DayZ where you'll mm-hmm. meet people and sometimes you'll like team up or and maybe one of you betrays the other later yeah. on and all these organic interesting things. Um one time I was playing Rust with someone and they made like a prison and they just like <laughs> fucking trapped somebody in it. And they were just, like, fucking with them for, like, hours. They could have killed themselves and left, but they were enjoying, no, like, yeah. the weird scenario. Yeah. I so they, they see kept... how this works out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, they ended up being, like, our gimp, and they followed us around, like, playing a guitar for a while naked. It was... <laughs> it was, like, the, just weird shit like that that people do uh, when when they're allowed the freedom to make their own fun, you know? And Fallout 76 does not give you that. It's got a very restricted um, kind of set experience while also assuming that you will uh, be interacting with players to somehow make your own fun. Like, it, But it's impossible. You can't. It's It can't work. It's a fucked up idea for a game. And I'm amazed that they're still supporting it, to be honest. Like, they are still releasing updates and stuff, as far as I know. And that's crazy. Um, you know, they, they must have some good whales in there uh, because I feel like... I'm amazed they haven't dropped it, is all. Yeah, I just, I don't... Very quickly, I just kind of, you know... I I had low hopes for myself with 76 because I'm not much of a multiplayer guy. But, you know, I, I thought, well, we'll give it a shot. And then very quickly, it was just kind of an, oh, oh, no. This is... Yeah. This is what I think it is, isn't it? And, yeah. Yeah, it, if it had been even a half-decent single-player experience, it would have been fine... Yeah, like you a, know, the like, equivalency of a DLC for Fallout Four that's actually yeah. like an Appalachia Fallout Four DLC or some like a mod or something. Sure, yeah, I'd play. Yeah, it. I'd, I'd play that. Like uh, again, uh, in throughout Todd's Inferno, I've been very hard on Fallout Four, but like I played it and had a good time. Like my frustration with it is how much it consistently fails to do anything with with its own concepts. But yeah. if you just want to like shoot fucking ghouls and collect duct tape for hours yeah smoke weed and listen to voice acting like and listen to 1940s and 50s swing music like still still my recommendation um not 70 like like i said at the end of the last episode i recommend doing that with pretty much every fallout game except for fallout 76 don't ever play it just don't ever touch it yeah read this article in kotaku instead Yeah, basically. Uh, I mean, that's why we so much time talking about it. That piece of shit, <laughs> and yeah, what the workers and, and, went through to try and get and it out. let let their experience put an end to the the narrative as well. That like you can make a good game by treating your workers like shit and by making everyone work really hard. Right. The 
there's often not a correlation between the two at all. Often crunch is the product of a mismanagement that itself indicates so many other problems that have probably already ensured the game won't be that good. Yeah, you can in every game developer, all the big, all the heads of big studios like Todd, who listen to this podcast, as we know. Um, can, Hi, Todd. They can do themselves a very big favor by uh, if their coworkers approach them and say, "Hey, we'd like to bargain collectively." You voluntarily <laughs> recognize their union, or what you do is you go to um, you you call your workers into a meeting, uh, a, a two minute long meeting, and you say. Um, Here's uh, a link to the. Here's the contact information for the national our officer our local officer for the regional officer. Sorry for the National Labor Relations Board. Um, uh, uh, contact them uh, to discuss how to um, uh, begin the process to author to call for a, a union authorization and then potentially create a collective bargaining agreement and. Uh, um, go to the go to them for everything else. Here's how here's how yeah. here's how you do it. Now go unionize. I will voluntarily recognize it. If you want to help your video game, uh, do that and do it now. Yeah, you'll make a better product. Everyone involved will live a better fucking life. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. Obviously the like obviously the way Bethesda is doing stuff isn't working. Because look at what they're putting out, and. You know, we, we'll do a Starfield episode when the time comes, but uh, I think you'd have to be out of your mind to get your hopes up about that. Uh, we'll see. In 2024, and, um, we will... Uh... Yeah. Whenever the fuck it's going to come out. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's really all there is to say about Fallout 76. It's just an abysmal failure. It's uh, an indictment of not only the company, but the industry. It's an yeah. indictment of the way that games are are pushed to be produced in a capitalist system it's it's just an indictment go to court yeah i don't really have anything like witty to close us out on no sucks ass no unionize the games industry unionize the fucking game that's it like it's it's that there's really no other answer um you, perhaps the people who actually spend all day making games should have more power within the production of games. Yeah. Call me crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Might help. <laughs> Todd Howard with a <laughs> fucking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably bleep that one out. <laughs> <laughs> all gamers are bastards. Ravioli. Ah, mamma mia.